It is your money, and we are happy to have you with us. Want to jump right in and tell you that if you have any financial question for our speaker today, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That number, 888-6-ADVICE, 1-888-6-ADVICE. You can email questions as well to your money at wealthenhancement.com, and you can call our studio line or text it, 651-461-9226. Now here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer. Hello, Bruce. Hello, sensational Susie Jones. How are you today? I'm good. It's freezing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. And I, uh, I have to confess to you and listeners, I am uh, one day away from getting out of here for a while, and I can't wait to go somewhere warmer. Yes, I think people would love to join you if you could take us all with you. <laughs> Hey, obviously, we're, we're without our good friend Peg Webb today. who's taking some well-deserved time off, and I think she is currently somewhere warmer than where we are. Mm. But wherever, wherever you are today, and I know many people are not in the cold of Minnesota. They listen to us all over the country uh, in a variety of different ways. I hope you're safe and your 2024 is off to a good start. Susie, today I want to talk a little bit about something that Peg and I mention on the show frequently, but I want, to, I want to take a deep dive on it today because I really think of all the things that we talk about on the program, this might be the single most important thing. I'm going to talk about our tool that we created at Wealth Enhancement Group. We actually have it trademarked. It's called the Your Money Matrix. And I'm going, to, I'm going to explain it. I'm going to go into detail on it. I'm going to talk about why it's important and why we use it and why we think everyone should use it, whether you work with wealth enhancement or not, or if you do it yourself or you work with another advisor. I will hopefully, by the end of this uh, hour, convince people that this is a logical way to do things. You know, most people invest and they try to anticipate or guess what stocks are going to do or what bonds are going to do or which way interest rates are going to go and they change their investment philosophy or strategy or they make their moves based on where they think the markets are headed. And, and it's just a flawed way to do things because nobody knows what's going to happen in the short term. Anyone that says they do is either misguided or dishonest. Nobody knows what will happen in the short term. And, and the media is filled with programs on cable, uh, stock picking programs or how to invest programs and where you should put your money now, what you should sell. And again, in the short term, nobody knows for sure. So trying to think that you can know what's going to happen in the short term is more likely than not just going to frustrate you and be, uh, be detrimental to your long-term success. So when we started Wealth Enhancement over two decades ago, we came up with this Your Money Matrix. It was our way of looking at all of our potential clients and all their assets. Um, it, it, it shows it to the client almost in 3D, if you will. So um, let me explain what the, what the money matrix is. So if, if I, on radio, we don't have any visual components, so people need to use their imaginations a little bit here. But, but think of drawing a tic-tac-toe game, two vertical lines, two horizontal lines crossing in between, and then just put that whole thing in a box. So now you've got nine little boxes inside of a big box. And at the top, on your horizontal axis, the three columns are going to be taxable, tax-deferred, and tax-advantaged. All of your investments, 
Everything that you invest in can only be taxed in one of these three ways. It's either fully and immediately taxable, the taxes are deferred or delayed, or maybe you avoid the taxes altogether, tax advantaged. So let's start, let's, let's go backwards from the right back to the left. Tax advantaged investments would include things, probably the best example is Roth IRA or Roth 401k. As our listeners probably know, most of you, a Roth is an investment, excuse me, it's not an investment, it's a strategy. The investment is what you actually put in your Roth. It could be stocks, it could be bonds, it could be a money market, a bank depository account. Those are the investments. The Roth is the strategy. And it's a strategy that says you don't get a deduction for your contribution, but if you allow the funds to stay there for at least five years or until the age of 59 and a half, whichever is longer, you don't have to pay any taxes on your gain. It's tax, it can be tax free. So many people listening, many of our clients are taking advantage of the Roth strategy. It's not the only tax advantage strategy where maybe you avoid taxes, but it's probably the most efficient, probably the most prevalent. Some people also, Susie have, and listeners, you can have double tax exempt bonds, municipal bonds, those might avoid taxes. You can, you can potentially avoid taxes on your gains with permanent life insurance. So there's different investment strategies, different financial tools that you may avoid the taxes altogether. We call those tax-advantaged strategies. Tax-deferred, moving to the middle column, is probably the most prevalent for most people. Because Roth is comparatively new as compared to traditional retirement accounts, things like 401ks, traditional IRAs, 403Bs, 457 plans, Um, I probably said uh, the ones that apply to most people listening right now. On these plans, you get a deduction for your contribution, so you lower your taxes the year in which you make the contribution, and then the earnings or the growth or the gains are not taxed until you take a withdrawal. So you don't get any 1099s uh, on the earnings every year. But when you take the money out, presumably at retirement, then you're going to pay ordinary income taxes on those withdrawals. Um, And then finally, moving further to the left, taxable accounts. These are accounts that you have, uh, savings accounts, maybe a brokerage account, investments that are not in any kind of retirement plan, not in any kind of tax-deferred or tax-advantaged strategy. And I know a lot of people, Susie, actually try to avoid these on their own or maybe on the advice of their financial advisor or maybe on the advice of their accountant. And when I ask people, why don't you like taxable investments, (laughs) the answer always is because I have to pay taxes on it every year. I'd rather pay the tax or avoid the tax completely. And it is true that all things being equal, avoiding the tax completely is better than just deferring or delaying the tax. Uh, And delaying the tax is going to be better, all things being equal, than paying the tax fully and immediately. But the thing is, not all things are equal. So on tax-deferred and tax-advantaged accounts, you generally have a disadvantage of illiquidity, meaning if you take money out of a traditional IRA or a traditional tax-deferred account, now again, there can be exceptions to this, but generally speaking, If you take money out before the age of 59 and a half, you're not only going to pay the taxes for that withdrawal, 
but you're going to pay a 10% penalty. So, so these accounts really limit the investor's liquidity. Now, again, that's not a reason not to do it, and I'm not saying you know, that makes them bad. I'm just saying that is a potential disadvantage. It ties up your money. Think of young people in their 30s getting married, buying their first home, decorating that home, doing landscaping, doing, doing uh, drapes and window treatments and windows. You, a lot of people need money in the short term, and generally speaking, the money that goes into their retirement plan is restricted from, from their use to, to live life. So, again, I'm not saying tax-deferred accounts are bad. I'm saying you do give up some liquidity to get that tax advantage. And it's very similar on a Roth, although on a Roth, one of the advantages for young people is you can go retrieve out of the Roth your original investment and not have a tax consequence because those are after-tax contributions. In other words, the money you put in, you've already paid your taxes on, so you can take it back out without paying taxes. But you can't get at your gains, again, generally speaking, with, you can't get the gains before age 59 and a half. So Roth IRAs or tax-advantaged accounts give a little more liquidity and a little more flexibility than tax-deferred accounts. But most taxable accounts, again, despite the fact that I'm going to get a 1099 and pay taxes every year, I do have the advantage of liquidity, and liquidity can be a big deal and it can matter. Now, I'm not lobbying for taxable investments instead of tax-deferred or tax-advantaged. Where I'm going with this is in a perfect world, investors have tax diversification or they have some money in all three categories, taxable, tax-deferred, and tax-advantaged. And as I alluded to earlier, the vast majority of people that I see, when I see them for the very first time, have 70, sometimes 80, sometimes 90% of their money in tax deferred because what they did, their primary saving and investing vehicle throughout their life, and because this has been around longer than tax advantaged investments, is they've been contributing to their company retirement plan, their 401k, their 403b, their 457, whatever it is. That's been their primary source of saving and investing. And again, it's a good idea. I'm not suggesting that people should not be doing that, but I am suggesting that that's not the only thing that they should be doing. And I'll come back to that in a minute. So back to taxable investments. Most people don't want to do it. They don't want to get a 1099 every year. They don't want to pay taxes. But again, they're getting liquidity for the, for the price or the cost of having to pay their taxes every year. What else do you get on taxable investments? Well, you may get favorable tax treatment. When you sell an investment in a taxable account for a profit or for a gain, and you've held that investment for a year or longer, you qualify for what's called long-term capital gains. For most people, the long-term capital gain tax rate will be either 10 or 15% as compared to ordinary income tax rates, which might be 22 or 24% or higher. So you might pay taxes at a lower tax rate on taxable accounts, whereas when you take money out of tax-deferred accounts, you're always going to pay at ordinary income tax rates, which for most people are going to be a little bit higher than their uh, long-term capital gains rate. So that's another advantage of taxable investments. And then finally, and this is probably the biggest one, if I have a taxable investment, Susie and listeners, if I, put, if I buy a stock at a price of a dollar a share and 
that price goes up over the lifetime that I hold that stock, and now it's trading at $100 a share. If I sell that stock, I've got to pay long-term capital gains taxes on that $99 per share increase. Now, again, I always tell my clients, it's better to pay taxes because you made money than to get a deduction because you lost money. So paying taxes is not the worst thing in the world. It means I made money. But if I never need that money during my lifetime and I die holding that stock at $100 a share and I leave that money to my two children, they get what's called a step up in basis. Their basis is not the dollar a share that I paid. Their basis is actually steps up to the $100 a share that the stock is worth now. So if they inherit that stock and they turn around and sell it at $100, it's not a taxable event. If they sell it for $102, they pay taxes on a $2 a share gain, not a $101 a share gain that I would have paid. So you can't, that step up in basis is unique to taxable investments. So again, all things being equal, avoiding the taxes altogether is better than delaying, and delaying is better than paying immediately, but all things not equal. Taxable investments have certain advantages that you can't get on a tax-deferred or tax-advantaged account. There's not a better here. There's a tax diversification, use all of them strategy that we try to coach our clients to use. And this is going to be very, very important when we talk about retirement income and what money do we spend first or what is the smartest money to spend. So that's our top access, taxable, tax deferred, tax advantaged. On the left side of our 3D tic-tac-toe board, outside the box we drew around it, now we've got three horizontal rows we're going to call those short-term, mid-term, and long-term. This is time horizon until we think we're going to use this money. So short-term money, Susie and listeners, would be, I would say, anything in the next two or three years. Money that you think you're going to spend or you know that you're going to spend. You're saving to pay for a wedding. You're saving for a down payment for a house. You're saving to buy a new car. You're saving for something that you know you're going to use the money in the next few years. I would suggest that this money should have no risk of principal. I am bullish on investing in the stock market. I believe that virtually everybody listening to me, virtually everybody should have some exposure to stocks, but not in your short-term money. Because while we know historically that long-term, historically stocks have rewarded investors, there's times in the short-term where they retract. 2022 was a negative year in the stock market. 2008 was a horrifically negative year in the stock market. So if your short-term money is subjected to that kind of risk, and now when you need the money in a year or two or three, and it's down 20% from what you started with, that's not a situation you want to find yourself in. So short-term money, no risk of principal, money market, maybe short-term CDs, uh, bank depository account, accounts, find the best interest rate you can. You're not concerned about growth. You're not concerned about return. You're concerned about safety and accessibility. Midterm money is money that you say, well, I know I'm not going to need it in the next few years, but I'm probably going to need it in less than 10. Um, I'm 65 years old. I'm going to retire at 70. And when I'm 70, I'm going to start to draw this money. That money is what I would call five-year money. Midterm money should be broadly diversified. 
There should be some safe money, like short-term money, interest-bearing accounts. There should probably be some exposure to stocks, but also a lot of other asset classes. We also want bonds in that portfolio. We maybe want gold and silver and other precious metals, maybe some real estate in there, maybe commodities. A broadly diversified portfolio like this certainly could retract in the short term, and it would have in 2022 because almost all those asset classes I just mentioned were actually all down in 2022. But generally speaking, certain asset classes have what we call negative correlation or a converse relationship with each other. Generally speaking, stocks and bonds will act opposite of one another. If stocks are doing well, then bonds don't. If bonds are doing well, then stocks don't. Again, there can be exceptions to that, and there have been, and there will be again, but that's a generally true principle. So these broadly diversified portfolios, while they could retract in the short term, history tells us that if we give it you know, three, five, ten years, we're probably going to make a decent return. And then long-term money, this is money that we can say, I can afford to set this money aside for a decade or more. I'm not going to need to touch it. And again, I think of retirement plans. If you're 35, 40, 45 years old, and you're 15, 20, 25 years away from retirement, this is your long-term money. This is where, if you follow our advice and use the money matrix, this is where you're going to have your greatest exposure to stocks or growth. This money should be either all in stocks or the vast majority of it in stocks. And the reason, again, we say stocks is because while they certainly can be volatile and they can retract in the short period, history has taught us that long-term, historically, they have given investors their greatest rewards. And it's also, Susie and listeners, why I don't care that I don't know what markets will do in the short term. It doesn't matter. If stocks go down and over the next year, and I didn't anticipate that, it doesn't matter. Because if my short-term money that I might spend wasn't exposed to stocks, that retraction doesn't hurt me. And my long-term money that I'm not going to spend for 10 years or more, that one-year retraction didn't hurt me. It only hurts me if I sell when the market's down and I lock in the loss. Otherwise, it's just down on paper. So your money matrix, if we follow this, if we diversify from a tax standpoint, and if we diversify from a time horizon standpoint, we don't need to know what the markets will do in the short term, which we can't know anybody anyway. So I would, I contend, and I've said this in public speaking engagements, I've said this to the media before, I've said this in articles, I've said this in books. If you're not using this idea of the money matrix, if you're not having short-term, mid-term, and long-term money and tax diversification and taxable accounts, tax-deferred accounts, and tax-advantaged accounts, you're probably not maximizing your efficiency. Now, why do we do this? And I know, Susie, I've got to take a break soon. I promise I'm keeping an eye on the clock. Um, we do this, frankly, because it works. This isn't some theory in a classroom. I've been practicing for over 40 years. I've been doing this my entire career, and I do it in my own life. How do I know it works? 2008 was the worst market retraction most people listening have ever experienced. A lot of people in 2008 panicked, and they sold when the market was low and locked in their losses, or they didn't want to sell, but they were retired and they needed income. They still needed gas and groceries, and they had to sell stocks for income when the market was down. Our clients didn't have to do that. In 2008, our clients, we said, look, 
your, your long-term money is down. Yes, you have less money now than you did when you started, but you didn't need that long-term money anyway. We agreed it was long-term money. So don't worry about where stocks are. Let's wait for those to recover before we take anything out of the long-term bucket, and let's use your short-term bucket. Let's use your cash, and so we don't care that the market's down. So the, I know this works because I've seen it work. It worked in 2008, and if it worked in 2008, I can't envision any circumstances where it doesn't work. So that's why we do the Your Money Matrix. Uh, I know we're about due for a break. In the second half of the show, I'll kind of clean up and put a bow on this topic, and then we'll open uh, the phone and text lines, and we'll let listeners ask questions and drive most of the second half of the show. All right, Bruce, very good. want to remind you, if you are listening and you have a question for Bruce, the number for the next half hour is 651 651- Four six one nine two two six. Again, you can text or you can call that number as well. It is six five one four six one nine two two six. Your money matrix. More on that after this short break. Six five one four six one nine two two six. It is your money and the second half of the program. If you're listening and you have a financial question for today's speaker, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That is 1-888-6ADVICE. You can also email your question to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But for the next 25 minutes, you can text or call 651-461-9226. Once again, the founder of Wealth Enhancement and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer. Welcome back, Bruce. Thank you, C. Jones. Thank you, listeners, for staying with us. Uh, If you joined us late, the first half of the show, I, well, I mentioned that, first of all, if you're waiting to hear the uh, docile tones of Peg Webb, she's taking some time off. It's just me today. And uh, in the first half of the show, I talked about your money matrix, and I'm not going to redo the whole show, but a couple quick things um, that I talked about in the first half. The your money matrix is a tool that we use where we look at tax diversification. We want our clients to have taxable investments, tax-deferred investments, and tax-advantaged investments, and we also want them to invest for different periods of time. Short-term money, money that you're going to need in the next couple of years, uh, mid-term money, maybe three to ten years out, and then long-term money, things like retirement plans if you're 40, 35, 45, and you're not going to need that money for 15, 20, 25 years or more. We invest differently based on the time horizon, and we want tax diversification. I mentioned at, at the end of my first half segment that we use this Your Money Matrix because it works. Now, what do I mean by that really quickly? And let me give some examples. So in 2008, everybody remembers the crash of 08. Many people are still haunted by it. In fact, I am convinced it forever changed people's behavior. Every time there's a little uh, downward tick in the market now, everybody wonders, oh my gosh, is this going to be another 2008? It's, it's, it's changed our mindset, it's changed the way we behave, it's changed the way we act and invest as investors. So 2008, let's take, our, take you back to the specifics. In the fall of 2007, the Dow, the, uh, uh, the US market is traded on the Dow, was trading at a, a little over 14,000 in October of 2007. By March of 2009, a year and a half later, 18 months later, the Dow was down to a little over 6,500. It had lost over 
60% of its value, and we saw similar numbers on all the other major stock index, indexes that we look at, the S&P 500 and so forth. And people were frightened. You, if, you, if you think back to that time, you were probably looking at your 401k statement, and it kept shrinking, shrinking, and shrinking. And people were frightened. The, the whole globe was frightened. And I'm not going to tell you that my clients were immune from that. My clients were frightened also. So in 2008 and, and, and 2009, I'm sitting in review meeting after review meeting with clients coming in frightened, and they say, Bruce, I have a lot less money than I had in 2007. And I said, yes, it's true on paper, but look at where most of that retraction occurred. It's in your long-term bucket or your stocks, and that was money that you told me, we agreed, you didn't need right now anyway. So what changed? You don't need that money, so what are you so worried about? You've still got cash or, or money market. You've got short-term money to fund your lifestyle if you need money. You can spend that money, and you can wait for stocks to recover. And, of course, everybody said, well, what if they don't? What if this time it's different? Well, history told us that stocks always recover, and they did. So the Dow went from 14000 to 6500 Today, the Dow is at, like, 37000 we, we've, we've more than doubled where we were before the market retraction of 08. Stocks came roaring back. If you stayed in the market, despite that retraction of 2008, if you stayed in the market, you did great. And you know what? If you did what I coached my clients to do in 2008, and I said, don't take money out of the market, it's on sale right now. It's, tr it's selling at 50% off. Keep making your contributions to your 401k. If you've got cash you don't need, put it in the market. So if you've got a chance to buy at or near the bottom of the market in 2008, today you're sitting with more money than you ever thought you, that you ever dreamed that you would have. So when I say the money matrix works, that's what I mean. It works. My clients in 2008 had less money than, than they did in 2007, but they didn't have to change their lifestyle. My clients that retired didn't have to start go looking for a job. They stayed retired. My snowbirds still went south for the winter. My clients that tithed to their church still tithed. My clients that gifted the loved ones still gifted. They didn't change their lifestyle because the money matrix told them that their long money that they didn't need right now is where that retraction occurred and that we were confident that those that, that those prices would come back and they did it worked they had short-term money to live on they didn't have to sell stocks at the bottom of the market the other example I wanted to give is as it relates to taxes so when I talk about having tax diversification when you're retired sometimes you want to spend tax deferred money sometimes let, let's say as an example that you're in a 12% tax bracket and you could have $20,000 more income before you bump in to the 22% bracket. And for, for your retirement income for that calendar year, you want withdrawals from your investments, for, so let's say it's $25,000. Well, that first $20,000 maybe should come out of your tax deferred account and we soak up the 12% tax bracket. Prevailing wisdom will tell you, no, don't spend tax-deferred money because you have to pay taxes on that. You, you maybe should spend your taxable money and pay taxes at a lower rate, 
or maybe not have much tax at all if there's not a lot of embedded gains, or maybe you want to take your, your tax advantage money, take out of a Roth. But the tax-deferred money is always going to have that tax lien on it. The, the tax is never going to go away. Either you're going to pay the tax when you withdraw that money, or if you leave that money to someone else, they are going to pay the tax when they inherit that tax-deferred account. And if you can pay taxes at 12 cents on the dollar or a 12% bracket, it is highly unlikely that you're ever going to be or anyone is ever going to be in a lower bracket than that. So why not soak up that money at the lowest bracket that we can? So we might say, okay, you need 25000 this year. We can take 20 out of your tax-deferred account and soak up the 12% tax bracket, and we'll take the extra 5000 that you want either out of taxable account or tax-deferred account. But if I don't have tax diversification, that's not an option for me. So a lot of people, when they come, I mentioned this in the first half of the show, a lot of people, when they come to see me for the first time, the vast majority of their money is in a company 401k plan or a tax-deferred plan. And they come in, and let's say they've got a 401k statement when they retire, and there's a million dollars in the 401k, and they're proud of that, and they should be. But I can tell by the way they talk, Susie, they think that whole million dollars is theirs. It's not. When they take withdrawals from that account, Uncle Sam's got his hand out. you got to pay the taxes. So that million dollars is going to net after taxes, you know, 750000 or eight hundred or 700000 depending upon your tax rate that you have to pay. You don't get to keep it all. So let's say you're retired and you're, gonna, you're just retiring and your reward to yourself, your retirement gift to yourself, is you're going to go out and get a new vehicle. And the vehicle costs $50,000 and you say, well, I'm not going to finance the vehicle or pay interest. Or I'm just, I have a million dollars in my 401k. I'm going to pay cash. But to net 50000 to pay cash, you might have to take a withdrawal of seventy or seventy-five thousand to net fifty after you pay the tax. That's not a smart way to go buy that vehicle. You're, you, you'd pay a lot less if you financed it and paid a low interest rate rather than pay you know fifteen or twenty or whatever the tax rate is. So, I want people to have options for their retirement income. What is the tax consequence and what is the investment result? I don't want anybody to have to sell stocks at an inopportune time. I don't want people to pay more tax than they have to. I want them to have diversification and flexibility, and that's why we use the Your Money Matrix. And spoiler alert, next week I'm going to go dive deeper on retirement income planning and how we do it and why we do it and why we do it the way we do and why it makes sense. So this show is kind of set with the Your Money Matrix. This show is kind of setting up next week's show that we're going to talk about retirement income planning. Okay, Susie, I went on longer than I thought I would, but I think it was important to give those examples. Let's let listeners take us the rest of the way home. All right, 651-461-9226. This texter writes, my financial advisor doesn't want me to move stocks to bonds to rebalance and to enjoy some of the good market because it will create a taxable event. How can you take advantage of that? Market being up, I'm 72. That's a really smart question. And this is tricky, and I'm not about to say that the texter's advisor is right or wrong. I don't know enough about the circumstances, but let's talk about the things that we need to consider. So Susie and listeners, I tell clients all the time, that we want to be as tax efficient as we can 
in the money management process and the financial planning process and the retirement income process, we, we strive for tax efficiency. But you also don't want to let the tax tail wag the investment dog, meaning that sometimes it's smart to, to, to have to pay taxes. So what the texture is talking about is really rebalancing the portfolio. Say, you know, so as an example, maybe they had 60% of the money in stock and 40% in bonds, but because stocks did really well last year, maybe now it's 65 or 70% stock and only 30 or 35% bonds, and they want to rebalance and go back to 60-40. There is going to be a tax consequence to do that. Now, whether or not that makes sense depends upon your personal circumstances, your other investments, your other sources of income. On the one hand, I could argue it makes sense to rebalance. I just tell people, and I said it earlier in this show, it's never a bad idea to lock in gains or to take winnings off the table. I'd rather pay taxes because I made money than, than get a deduction because I lost money. So I'm not saying the advisor's wrong. Um, he, the, the advisor, he or she is right to consider the taxes, but again, I don't know how much the taxes are. I don't know the rest of the story. And what we would do sometimes um, in our situation, if we wanted to rebalance, but we were worried about the negative tax ramifications, it, it, instead of just straight rebalancing and selling things that are up, we might look for positions that are down, and if we don't think they're gonna, going to recover anytime soon, we might sell some things at a loss purposely to offset some of that gain to mitigate some of the tax liability and still make that portfolio more efficient and still get the asset allocation that we want. That's not always doable, but those are the types of things we'd look for. So the texture has a really good question. Yep. On the one hand, it's a good idea to lock in gains and take winnings off the table. On the other hand, it's a good idea to try to avoid the taxes if you can. That's a tricky balancing act. I would say tr if you trust your advisor, follow their advice. If you don't trust them or you want to challenge them, I tell my clients all the time, if I say something and you don't think it's right, it's okay to ask and make me defend my position. And at the end of the day, I will always give my best advice, but it's your money mm. and you have to be comfortable with whatever decision you make. So I would, I would tell the texter to just ask their advisor again to defend that position because I could argue that both ways. All right, very good. You want to do another one here at 651-461-9226? This person texts, if I retire at 62, planning to wait to get pension at 66 or as close to 70 as possible for Social Security, does it make sense for me to live off savings plus IRA until I start living off mainly pension and Social Security? Um, I'd likely use Minsure for health insurance under 65. Uh, this, and I, I think he says, I would like to keep my income lower than from 62 to 65. Yeah, again, a lot of, lot of things to unwind yeah, there. Yeah. Thank you. Yep, no, it's a great text. Thank you. Boy, we're getting, we have two really good ones out of the gate. So there's multiple issues here. So if you retire at 62, obviously you are, well, not, maybe not obvious to everybody, at 62 you are eligible to begin drawing Social Security benefits. I'm not saying you should, but you're eligible to. Let me come back to that. At 62, though, you are not yet eligible for Medicare. So 
if you're retired and you don't have your insurance as a benefit on the job anymore, how do you bridge that gap from 62 to 65, at, at, at which time you're probably going to go on Medicare and may or may not get a Medicare Advantage or supplement and, and Part D or whatever. That's a whole different discussion for a different day. Well, the way you might do it in the state of Minnesota is with MinSure. MinSure is private insurance. You go find your own policy through your own private insurer. And if your income is low enough, you may be eligible for federal tax credits to help you offset that cost. That's what the texture is talking about when they say they want to keep their income down. So again, it's a balancing act. How do I get enough income for, the, for my expenses, for my lifestyle at retirement, but yet keep it low enough so I qualify for some credits to get my cost for health insurance down? And yes, they kind of gave part of the answer in, the, in their question. If you have savings or, or liquid taxable money that's, that's not in an IRA, that might be the best source of most of your income because on those types of accounts, on taxable accounts, on bank deposits, CDs, money markets, you're going to get a 1099 on any earnings whether you spend the money or not. So if you spend that money, it really doesn't increase your tax, uh, taxable income because you get a 1099 anyway. So you use that to fund your lifestyle, to pay for gas and groceries. You still keep your taxable income as low as possible to hopefully qualify for tax credits on Minsure. You probably don't want to turn on Social Security yet because that may drive your income up to the point that it's more than you need for lifestyle and it may uh, disqualify you for tax credits from Minsure. Mm -hmm. But then when you're 65, now you're on Medicare, now you'll have the decision again. Now do I want to keep using this cash account that I've been using for the last three years, or now do I want to start IRA withdrawals, or do I want to turn on Social Security? And it might be a combination of different things, and it might change from year to year. This is a, a really good example of what I call retirement income planning. And again, uh, plug for next week's show, we're going to do a deep dive on retirement income planning next week. But the, the place to take your income from in one year might not be the right place to take it from next year. So again, we look at pensions, how much is it, when do we start? We look at Social Security advantages and disadvantages of turning that on, and we look at what are your other sources for potential retirement income? How much is in taxable accounts? How much is in tax deferred? How much is ta in tax advantaged? What have the investment results been? Where's the stock market at now? Where are interest rates now? And all those things come into play and we determine here's the smartest place to pull income from this year, but again, it might be different next year. So great text, a lot of things in that question, and some of that will go into deeper next week, Susie. All right, very good. 651-461-9226. A texter writes this morning, what is the social security rule regarding the husband-wife payments when one was the primary wage earner? Does the payment include a full payment for the primary earner plus half of the amount for the other? Yeah, again, good three three good ones in a row. This is a great week for questions. Mm -hmm. So Social Security, um, to be eligible for your own benefit, you have to have had, I think, 40 quarters of, of uh, history where you paid in the FICA and you're eligible for your own benefit. So if you were a part-time worker, a stay-at-home caregiver, whatever, and you didn't have 
the same kind of um, work history and FICA contributions as your spouse, you, you still can have your own benefit. And in terms of whether or not you take your benefit, you might also be eligible for 50% of your partner's benefit, but you can't do both. So you either take your benefit or 50% of your partner's. Now that's the general rule, but there can be all kinds of different scenarios that change that. So when we do a social security analysis, we always tell clients right out of the gate, this is never going to be an exact science because there's a lot of things that we do know and we take those things we do know and we feed those into the calculations so we know what you have for assets, we know what your social security benefit will be, we know what 50% of your spouses will be, we can look at your family heredity or, or history and see if you seem to come from a family with a long, long life expectancy or not, we know your health right now, we know if it's important to leave a legacy to loved ones or not, we know all those things, but what we don't know, we don't know when you're going to die. And because we don't know that, it will never be an exact science. But based on the things that we do know, we can probably give you a recommendation in terms of how to draw your Social Security and maximize the efficiency. And maximizing the efficiency, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean get the most dollars out of Social Security over your lifetime. Many of my clients, Susie, for lack of a better word, want to, I'm air quoting here, want to front load their retirement income. So they might say, look, I know that if I wait to draw Social Security, I'm, I'll probably get more over my lifetime if I live beyond a certain age, but I want more income early in retirement. We're going to do more travel. We're going to check more things off our bucket list in our 60s than we are in our 70s and 80s. So we're going to turn Social Security on, use some of our investment accounts, and we're going to front load our retirement income. And then after five or six years of retirement, we're going to slow down. We'll have checked everything off our bucket list, and we won't need as much money. So we don't care if our net benefit over our lifetime is lower. So three great questions today. I thank listeners. They never cease to amaze me. And again, I'm keeping an eye on the clock, and I know you're going to start the music any second. <laughs> Well, we certainly do appreciate everybody for texting in, and unfortunately, we did not get to everyone. So please write this down, your money at wealthenhancement.com, or you can call this number, one eight 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 six one eight eight six advice anytime, 24-7, and you will get your questions answered. You can go in and have a free consult, your money at wealthenhancement.com. Make it a great week.